thank you very much. You're, you're, well, you're very nice, and we really do appreciate it. And I, since we're the only girls on the show, I, I don't know what kind of show you're expecting out of us. But, no, sometimes, sometimes they do girly-type kind of shows, but I've got one announcement to make. I don't want any confusion. This is as sexy as I'm going to get right here. <laughs> Hello, welcome to a six-string hayride podcast, a journey through the world of classic country music with your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley. We will be covering all of the great topics in country music, from mama to prison, to dancing, to drinking, to guitar picking, to all the crazy deal with the devil, honky-talking stuff you do on Saturday night, and how you try to get it past your Lord on Sunday morning. So climb aboard the cart and let's go. mid-1960s until the mid-1990s at the end of their touring days, there would always be a point during a Johnny Cash concert when the audience would spontaneously just start chanting June, 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 June. It would get louder and louder. If you were lucky, you would feel the theater shake just a little bit. People would amp the volume up, and all of a sudden, there she'd be. Uh, just an extraordinary presence, a huge reaction from the crowd. You could not have a Johnny Cash show without her. June Carter Cash. So uh, we might as well split this up into two parts here. And uh, June the Carter. He is the daughter of Mother Maybell Carter. Maybell Carter, of course, the incredible guitar player invented the scratch style of guitar which is called the carter scratch uh, let's get this one done really quick it's basically a method where you're using your thumb as sort of an anchor and playing bass parts and you're using your fingers to finger pick melody or more traditional guitar parts this pioneers this style fed atkins becomes one of the first major disciples of it uh, the original carter family also includes sarah carter playing auto harp and doing most of the lead vocals and ap alvin pleasant carter 
he mostly writes and goes out into the rural areas of Virginia to do what they used to call song catching. He would listen to old folk tales, old blues songs, old gospel songs, old kind of local legend stories, and he would alter them and arrange them just enough that he could take a fairly legitimate songwriting claim on those. Ralph Peer from RCA Victor would be really fair and square with them. Uh, but AP felt that, you know, the more writing, the more arranging credits he could get, that would increase their publishing catalog. It would increase the family income. It would have been better for us both had we never in this wide and wicked world had never met for the pleasures we both seen together i am sure love i'll never forget oh i'm thinking tonight of my blue eyes who is sailing far over the sea oh i'm thinking tonight of my blue eyes So the three Carters in recording with Ralph Peer and RCA Victor, August 1st, 1927. This is the famous Big Bang in country music. They're the group. Jimmy Rogers is the solo star that comes on the tales of this. Some of the early classics from the Carter family are Single Girl, Married Girl. And of course, one of the great train songs ever, the Wabash Cannonball. broad Atlantic shore She climbs Clary Mountain or hills and by the shore Although she's tall and handsome and she's known quite well by all She's a regular combination of the Wabash Cannonball From 1927 to 1930 and this is right at the beginning of the Depression we're talking about a largely rural audience, so not a lot of record players around. But in those three years, the original Carter family sells over 300,000 records. That's pretty extraordinary accomplishment. Of course, at this early stage in the business, they are the first to do it. Oh, the eastern states are dandies, so the western people say. Chicago, Rock Island, St. Louis, by the way. 
to the lakes of Minnesota where the rippling waters fall. No changes to be taken on the Wabash Cannonball. As we get into the mid-1930s, 1936, the marriage between Sarah and A.P. falls apart. It is really hard to keep the original lineup together and performing. A.P. is not always showing up for live performances. Sarah is not wanting to appear at some places if A.P. will also be there. It gets pretty dicey. And they're mostly doing radio performances at this point. They wind up in Texas and in Mexico doing border radio from 1938 to 1940 at XERA on the Texas-Mexico border. Let me introduce you to the original Carter family. A.P., Sarah, Maybell, Jeanette, Helen, June, and Anita. Thank you, Brother Bill. Thank you. Our beginning number will be the Cannonball Blues. The Carter family were there at the height of the power of XERA, 1938 and 1939 seasons. Dr. Brinkley actually pays them $75 a week to perform. So they are the royalty on the border radio station because they don't have to pull the mail. They're getting paid. The first time I heard the Carter family was on border radio, and I thought it was wonderful music. He actually got the signal from XERV in Texas and heard uh, little June Carter, you know, when she was a preteen. Beautiful, beautiful brown eyes, beautiful, beautiful brown eyes, beautiful, beautiful brown eyes. The Carter kids were like child stars of the era, really. Sarah and AP do finally split. And really from 1940 to about 1943, Maybell takes over and shifts the lineup and the focus, the path that the band is going to be on to her and her daughters. AP kind of disappears from the scene sarah and her new love find a happy life for themselves in california maybell and her three daughters really pick up the legacy they pick up the music and they just run with it and really deepen the carter family legend in an extraordinary way with the roses so red and the lilies so fair So who are the daughters? 
The firstborn is Helen. She's born in 1927. So just as Maybell is beginning her music career, motherhood also becomes a part of her life. Helen lives to be 70 years old. She passes in 1998. And she also spends a lot of years as part of the Johnny Cash touring show. June, is anyone really going to be surprised as we go through her story that June is the middle child? Born in 1929, her proper name is Valerie June Carter. She is born, but born on June 23rd of 1929, Valerie June Carter. Middle child. And then bringing up the rear is baby sister Anita Carter, born in 1933. She also, uh, part of the singing group, part of the touring group. Helen and Anita are both really accomplished musicians. And outside of huge fans of country music, they don't get talked about as much because they didn't marry Johnny Cash. But between the two of them, incredible singers writers, arrangers, bass, guitar, piano, auto harp, and accordion. And they're not just the other two Carter girls. They're really equal powers in their own right, and their careers very, very successful with their own music. Uh, Anita passes away in 1999. She was 66 years old. So... From 1943 to 1949, you have Mother Maybell and the three girls. Mostly they're based out of Charlotte, North Carolina with WBT radio. But they're doing live performances. They are appearing at the Opry. And they are doing some radio gigs around Virginia as well. In 1949, as if Maybell isn't the guitar powerhouse, just fine on her own, they team up with a very young Chester Atkins. Yeah, that, that Atkins. That Atkins becomes their guitar player in 1949. It's time for the Carter sisters, Mother Maybell, Chet Atkins, and his famous guitar. Put on your smile and don't wear frown. We're gonna scatter some sunshine around. If you don't believe me, just look around. Put on your Sponsor, before the entertainment starts, you have a chance to claim credit for the program. And then as you finish, the music comes up and on with the Carter Sisters. And we'll all have a wonderful time. Now it's time for that grinning gal in the gingham gown with a lot scab, June Carter. Well, thank you there, Joe, and howdy to all you folks. We're aiming to pick and sing a little dab here. If Chester Adkins will pick on the guitar, us young'uns will sing Cimarron. <laughs>
They continue to play at the Opry. They continue to do radio work and live performances. There's not a ton of footage out there that you can find on YouTube, but there is some. If you search for Chet Atkins and the Carter family, you're going to find some really entertaining stuff. And again, uh, you have Mother Maybell, the first real guitar hero of the recording era. And then you team her up with a young and innovative and hungry Chet Atkins. The music that they made is just extraordinary stuff. Put on a smile and don't wear a frown. We're gonna scatter some sunshine around. If you don't believe, we'll chase away those tears. Listen here. called the Columbus Stockade Blues. Way down in Columbus, Georgia, want to be back in Tennessee. Way down in Columbus, Stockade, friends have turned their back on me. Go and leave me if you wish to, never let me cross your with the three girls singing it's beautiful can't say enough about it obviously go check it out Back. 
You know, for many years, I had a passing knowledge, we'll say, of the Carter family. I was certainly aware that there was a Carter family. Um, I had a couple of compilations that were by or included the Carter family, but I certainly couldn't pretend that I was well-versed in any of their history. Something we touched on in the interview episode for the first anniversary of the Hayride was how one of the early ideas for a podcast was going to be covering the evolution of country guitar, starting with Mother Maybell. So it's really only about a year ago that I actually started reading pretty much anything I could find about the Carter family or watching documentaries that included them. When I rewatched the Ken Burns uh, documentary, that stuff was a lot more poignant to me. So, you know, again, I'm not going to try and pretend that I'm quite the expert here that Jim is, but there's a few things that have always struck me about this story. Uh, first of all, you know, think of the time we're talking about here, the mid to late 1940s, where the Carter family has broken up and Mother Maybell is deciding to launch the second iteration with her daughters. You know, you mentioned, Jim, that Chet Atkins had joined the, the group in 1949. So the Opry starts reaching out to Ezra to invite the Carters to move to Nashville so that they can start appearing on the Opry on a regular basis. However, a lot of the local area musicians are very concerned that if Chet Atkins moves to Nashville, he might become the first call guy for some of these recording sessions. So... There is a condition that's attached to the Carters moving to Nashville and starting to appear, and that's that Chet is not allowed to appear on stage with them. And Ezra turns down every one of these offers. Uh, he, he just isn't going to have it. And if you think about that, you know, again, we're talking about a time when the country is coming out of 
the, you know, coming out from under the shadows of a very severe economic depression, which had a lot of people probably feeling very insecure about where their next paycheck would come from. And, and granted, yes, now we're in the post-war years, things are starting to be rebuilt into boom a little, but you still have that memory fresh in the back of your mind of what you just went through. So the idea that somebody would turn down what was clearly a business opportunity that would pay dividends in order to stick to their principles, I mean, that says a lot. Uh, eventually, the Opry management relents, and I believe it's 1950, and the group along with Adkins do start appearing regularly. So after helping her mom, you know, along with her sisters, rebuild the Carter Family Act, and they'd really being out on the road, doing radio, doing the Grand Old Opry, you know, it, teaming up and encouraging a young Chet Atkins. By the mid-1950s, June Carter has ended her marriage, her first one, to musician Carl Smith. Smith very much expected June to stay home with daughter Carlene, occasionally be on the Opry, but mostly to be the wife of a music star. And according to all interviews and accounts, June Carter wanted Carl Smith to be very aware that she was also a musician and big music star, and she was going to go out on the road and pursue her craft and entertain people. So they were only married four years. Uh, in the mid-50s, June picks up daughter Carlene, and with encouragement from Elia Kazan and Lee Strasberg, she goes to New York. Uh, these guys are really the geniuses and the pioneers behind the whole method acting movement in the 50s in New York. They saw June perform at the Opry, and they encourage her to come to New York and study acting for a few years, and she does just that. If you look at performance footage of June Carter from the 1950s, you see two really amazing things that stand out. Maybell puts June out front and center as the, the face of the band, as the front person. I think, you know, the Mick Jagger job. You have to go out there and say, hello, Cleveland, and pan to the crowd and dance around and entertain and keep the show moving. June develops a comedy persona known as Aunt Polly. And it, June is such a, a craftsperson, is so incredibly wrapped up in her art that she has this notebook that she carries around that has just jokes and rewrites of jokes, lyrics, poems. She's kind of building her catalog of shtick, of performance material. So she is the, the comedy front person of a real, intensely serious, skilled country music group in the Carter family. When you watch her perform, he does the red-haired pigtails and the buck teeth and the freckles, and the she almost looks like the cartoon figure on the Wendy Hamburger signs. And it's a real deliberate play to that stereotype. Uh, think of what would become the mini pearl thing on Hee Haw years later. June's kind of way out in front of that. And you see a singer who's not polished, in, like, say, maybe the Ella Fitzgerald sense for female vocalists. But the power and the range and the grit think more of like a Billie Holiday type style. 
And June has that in spades. You know, and again, a lot of people are just like, oh, yeah, that lady who sings and she's Johnny Cash's wife. These are all the things she was doing years before she married Cash. The comedy skill, the serious acting, the musicianship, the guitar playing, the auto harp, the powerful singing voice. You know, again, why was Johnny interested in this particular woman? And then the blue eyes and the mountain of red hair. Johnny's no fool. And Dune, Johnny Cash married above his station. And he knew it, I think, the whole way through. Love is a burning thing. And it makes a fiery ring. I fell into a ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire So in the early 1960s You have Maybell kind of working part-time, as Chris said. Uh, But June and Helen and Anita are an active touring act, and they hitch their wagon to the Johnny Cash touring show. And you have Carl Perkins on that bill at times. You have Roy Orbison. You have different acts coming in and out. But Johnny is well aware of who June was and sought her out. And he had a legitimate love for Maybell's music and for the original Carter family. Johnny's guitar player, the great Luther Perkins, definitely a big fan of Mother Maybell. Um, Carl, no relation Perkins as well. You know, heavily guitar influenced by Mother Maybell. This would be a real hell of a package tour to have seen back in the early 60s. But the Johnny Cash truth at this point is he is unhappy in his marriage. He is full of pills, full of alcohol, not doing any hard time, but he's getting a lot of arrests for curfew and for, oops, I have a suitcase full of pills and, you know, goofy stuff like that. He's starting to miss shows. He loses a lot of weight and he looks really gaunt. And the Johnny Cash of 1955, 1956, Big River, Home of the Blues, Olsen Prison, he's starting to become kind of seen as a an oldies doctor. It's a guy who, you know, really isn't quite all there anymore with his music. And that's part of the reason why you get the Carters and the Roy Orbisons and the Carl Perkins as part of your package tour. You don't have lesser acts and you're the obvious big star. You have a truckload of equals because honestly, folks, as much as we love them, Johnny really couldn't carry the headlining weight of a touring act at that time because, you know, again, short version, full of pills, full of alcohol and a lot of personal unhappiness. And June is one of the people that's there and up close and with him a lot of the time. And she witnesses this. 
And she is, by all accounts, one of the few people in the early to mid-60s that sees Nani Cash in the present and not just the genius from seven, eight years ago at Sun Records. And they do develop a, a crush and an affair, and it's not much of a secret. In 1966, June finally, and according to a lot of interviews with Emmy Lou Harris, is a matter of conscience, is a matter of kind of spiritual or, or moral sense, divorces her second husband, Ed Nick. And they were married from 1957 to 1966. But realizing that, you know, if Johnny Cash is the guy that you write Ring of Fire for, and you're willing to really stick your neck out so far to help him in his personal struggles. Yeah, she comes to the conclusion that her marriage to Ed Nix is over, and she initiates a divorce in 1966. She deliberately does not tell Cash about this for several months until the divorce is final. He, obviously, June has strong, passionate feelings for Johnny Cash. She is trying to do right in the way that she ends her marriage to Nick. She is speculating a little bit here, but he's trying to handle it in the most dignified way possible. She gets a divorce knowing that there's going to be an affair. She then waits a little while. They, She's trying to be dignified in a difficult situation because she's a very public person. TV, radio, newspaper, it, celebrity divorces at this time were still a big deal. In 1967, Johnny and June issue the single Jackson. It becomes a huge hit. It's a hilarious back and forth between a man and woman who are in love, but also love to argue and bicker. We got married in a fever Hotter than a pepper sprout We've been talking about Jackson Ever since the fire went out I'm going to Jackson I'm gonna mess around yeah, I'm going to Jackson. Look out, Jackson Town. Uh, again, huge hit. This would become one of the high points of their live shows. And between 1991 and 1993, I saw them four times around the Chicago area. And you know, boy, I mean, this was a great musical number, but also a great comedy number. Jackson. 
1967 and 1968, Mother Maybell and June move in with Johnny Cash, and it turns out Carl Perkins comes along for the ride. Johnny is kicking pills and alcohol. Carl Perkins is kicking alcohol. And you can't fix it an addict as a friend or as a family member, but you can love and support. And that is what June and Maybell do. And again, the, the strength of June's character, of her heart, of her personality, nobody else, and, and Cash used to say this all the time himself, uh, there was no one else on the planet that was going to lift him out of that and motivate him to get his life together. It was their love for each other that he was like, okay, I can either, you know, just die from pills and drink or, oh my God, June Carter. In February of 1968, in the middle of a live performance in a hockey arena in Ontario, Canada, Johnny just finally, you know, it's pretty obvious. It's out in the open. Everyone can see it. He proposes to her. And very quickly, on March 1st of 1968, they get married. Keep on the sunny side, always on the sunny side. Keep on the sunny side of life. It will help us every day. It will brighten all the way. It will keep on the sunny side of life. June writes two books, two memoirs, uh, one in 1979 and then one 10 years later. She issues three solo records during this period of her life. In 1975, Appalachian Pride. In 1999, she wins a Grammy for Press On. And in 2003, at the very end, uh, with Wildwood Flower, an album that wins two Grammys. Her and Johnny put a lot of their money and a lot of their charity work into an orphanage in Jamaica called SOS Children's Village. They basically put up the front money for this place to exist. They had a, um, a home in Jamaica when they weren't in Tennessee. They were there. Johnny liked to fish. They liked to be where it was warm, beautiful country. And like other musicians uh, who have spent a lot of time in Jamaica, I'm thinking of uh, our old friend Keith Richards, and producer George Martin, who had built a studio there, these folks wind up putting a lot of money into the communities where they buy property. And, uh, you know, I, that's always a bonus. If you're going to live somewhere and be wealthier than everybody else, you kind of have a responsibility to interact with the community around you. Is It's in 1968 where we really begin to see the Johnny Cash that everybody knows and loves now. The legend, the man in black, the larger-than-life figure. Um, it's something that his personal revival allows for. Because Yeah, in the mid to late 50s, he's in Memphis at Sun Records. He's a big hit machine. But then, you know, for a good seven, eight years, he's just washed up, and people feel sorry for him, or people avoid him. So in 1968, when he marries June, he winds up doing the Live at Folsom Prison record. And then in 1969, it's Live at San Quentin. And then in 1970, it's a hit TV show. And they're just off and running from there, the two of them together. So when you really you know, think about what 
June Carter is capable of and what she contributes as June Carter cash. It's really that big late sixties revival in cash's career. And it's the beginning of that, that sort of image, that legend that we look at. We don't really look back at skinny bolo tie, Johnny cash sitting in a box card singing. I still miss someone. That is his brilliant early classic period. And that's what made him initially. But we really go back to 68, 69, to the prison albums, to the man in black, to that larger than life image. And that is the professional result of the, the personal life with June Carter. There is another person, uh, I appreciate you sharing that with us. There's another person in your life, I imagine, that has had a great effect on you, June Carter. Can you speak a little bit about what she has brought yeah. you? Smile for the first time, I noticed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What effect has she brought in? Obviously, happiness and joy with that nice yeah. grin. Yeah, yeah, we've been married 18 years, and June Carter is my biggest critic, first of all. And sometimes she acts like she's a fan, but she tells me when it's right and when it's wrong. I would say for sure, when I think of June, I do tend, or Johnny for that matter, I do tend to think of the June and Johnny combo. Uh, of course, as you mentioned, we have Johnny before June. We have June with the Carter family and on the Opry before Johnny. But it's the two of them that form the powerhouse duo that I think gives them so much resilience. I say my love in early in the morning just for you. Across town, she's good to me. Oh, yeah. And that begins his resurgence, which then continues for several years and then ultimately again towards the end of his life. And I, I agree, that's all a result of the influence of June. She's clearly a studying influence in his life. She clearly gives him what he needs to continue his own career path. And it's really too bad that she gives so much of herself that it's not until 1999 when we get that press on album. And then her second album, which is released only after her death, that we get to hear more of June, the solo artist. I mean, of course, we've been hearing her at this point for the majority of her life either early on with her mother and sisters or later on in the Johnny cash show. But it turns out June has a lot to say on her own. Uh, if you listen to the press on album and you'll see scenes about this in the documentary that was just released, you'll hear June's original arrangement that she had when she wrote ring of fire. And of course, you'll recognize the song instantly, but it brings its own level of uniqueness. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher, and it burns, burns, burns. The ring of fire, the ring of fire.
got fired I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire I fell for you like a child Oh, but the fire went wild I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher Musical legacy-wise, you know, we should all be thankful that she was, in fact, attached to Johnny Cash. Uh, again, Appalachian Pride which she releases in 1975, and then the two towards the end of her life, Press On from 1999 and Wildwood Flowers, which again comes out only posthumously in 2003 after she's uh, passed away. With a circle Well, folks, as always, thank you for spending some time with us on this episode of the Six String Hayride podcast. We've been talking about the Queen, June Carter. So she spends a good part of the 1940s and the first part of the 1950s reinvigorating the great Carter family musical legacy. She spends the mid-1950s raising daughter Carlene and studying acting with Lee Strasberg. She spends the late 50s and the early 60s touring with her sisters, doing Grand Old Opry performances. They help Chet Atkins get his start at some point along the way. And then she falls in love with Johnny Cash. In 1968, her and Cash get married. The rest is history. Uh, as Chris said, there's three great solo albums out there. She also has written two sets of memoirs from 1979 and 1989. And we've talked about her acting career, so here's some things you can check out. First of all, on YouTube, there's a lot of the Opry and a lot of the 1950s comedy performances and some real curious musical performances as well. Uh, but film-wise, she is in the last days of Frank and Jesse James, good Western, with Robert Duvall. She's in a really fine film called The Apostle. And then she's done a lot of television, uh, mostly through the 70s. Uh, she did Gunsmoke, she did Columbo, and Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. Uh, June Carter, I mean, pretty much everything she did, she did in such an excellent way that it, she really sets the bar. Um, extraordinary. And then there's the cookbook that her and Johnny and the family left us with. And we are going to, um, we're going to give you two recipes today from the Fine Cash Carter Cookbook. Chris, whip something up for us. Okay. Well, Jim, I think we want the Hayride listeners to start their day out right. So we're going to go to the breakfast chapter of the Cash Carter Family Cookbook, and we're going to have ourselves some Irish-style steel-cut oats with buttermilk. Look! 
For this recipe, you'll need two and a half cups water, one tablespoon of butter, plus more for serving, one cup of steel-cut oats, one cup of whole milk divided, half a cup of whole buttermilk, plus more for serving, a pinch of salt, and a tablespoon of brown sugar. You'll pour the water into a medium saucepan, cover, and bring to a boil over high heat. Melt the butter in another medium saucepan over medium heat. Add the oats and cook until they begin to brown, one to two minutes. Pour the boiling water over the oats and bring the mixture to a boil. Reduce the heat to medium-low and simmer the oats uncovered for 15 minutes, stirring only occasionally. Add half a cup of the whole milk and simmer for an additional 10 minutes or until the milk is absorbed. Combine the remaining half cup of milk with the buttermilk in a small bowl. Pour the milk mixture over the oats. Add a pinch of salt. Cook for 10 to 12 minutes more or until desired thickness. Serve in a bowl with a small dab of butter, a sprinkling of brown sugar, and a dash of buttermilk. This recipe makes four servings. Judy, sit down on the stool there. I get this. Uh, the way we used to, remember? Okay. Like you sure look pretty in your Thank dress. You. I know it. You did. <laughs> Remember that? It's all right. Remember this one? Yeah, I remember it. How many biscuits can you eat this morning? How many biscuits can you eat this evening? How many biscuits can you eat? Forty-nine and a ham of meat this morning, this evening, right now. Junior, you remember you used to get up in front of the schoolhouse and and say a little piece, you know, recite, recite one for us, and I'll play. All right. That's the way Junior used to do it. I get my lip up. All right. Okay, now, okay. Now, quit gouging me, Ernie. Well, all right. I never heard you All right. Okay. I went out to milk the old cow one day with my stool and my bucket and my fork full of hay. I flung down my bucket and I flopped on my stool. I said, be still, bossy, you stubborn old fool. Be still now, bossy, quit jumping around. I've been out all night just a-sneaking around. She looked sympathetic with her eyes big and brown. And said, just hang on and I'll jump up and down. How many biscuits can you eat this morning? How many biscuits can you eat this evening? Send in them cards and letters, friend. Send them in. How many biscuits can you eat? 49 and a ham on meat this morning. This evening, right now. Well, folks, after a hearty breakfast of Irish oatmeal, let's have an equally hearty supper with the Cash family beef pot roast with potatoes and carrots. You will need salt and black pepper, about two and a half pounds of beef roast, one half cup all-purpose flour, three tablespoons vegetable oil or shortening, three cups of water, two large baking potatoes cut into one to two inch chunks, two celery stalks cut into one to two inch pieces, one and one half cups of sliced carrots, about three or four carrots. One half large sweet onion chopped up into pieces. Three cloves garlic finely chopped. Two sprigs fresh parsley or two to three teaspoons of dried parsley. One half teaspoon of rubbed sage and a pinch of salt and black pepper. Heat the oven to 375 degrees. Generously salt and pepper the roast on all sides then dredge in flour. 
heat the oil in a large Dutch oven or other heavy-duty oven-proof baking pan on the stove over medium heat. Brown the roast in the pan on all sides, three to four minutes on each side or until a rich brown. Remove the roast from the pan and set aside. Add the remainder of the flour to the pan. During constantly, brown the flour, adding a bit more oil if needed, being careful not to burn the flour. Whisk in one and one-half cups of the water, stirring and cooking on medium-high heat until the gravy begins to thicken. Return the roast to the pan, then turn off the heat and add all the potatoes, celery, carrots, onions, garlic, parsley, and sage. Add the remainder of the water to the pan to almost cover the vegetables. Sprinkle with a little salt and pepper. Cover and cook in the oven at 375 degrees, that's Fahrenheit, folks, for 20 minutes. Then turn the heat down to 285 degrees and cook for another five hours or until the roast and vegetables are tender. You can serve this with the Cash Carter family cornbread, which was in episode number one. I'd like to remind you to email us at sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. Six is spelled out. You can also search us uh, on Facebook as Six String Hayride. Or what we'd really appreciate you doing is finding us on Patreon under Six String Hayride as well. Well, folks, thanks again for joining your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley on the Six String Hayride Classic Country Podcast. We are here for all of your classic country, rockabilly, early rock and roll, little gospel, little blues, a lot of excellent country music-themed recipes. And basically, we are here to keep your musical circle rocking bopping and very much unbroken so thank you for sticking with us we will see you down the road real soon and again whether it's in your home in your community wherever it is you do your thing keep your circle unbroken stay well stay safe and we'll see you real soon I'm gonna join the family circle at the throne No, the circle won't be broken By and by, Lord, by and by Remember, the force will be with you, always